chapter 13. I want to look at the uh, last word in verse 5 and then uh, look at verse 6 today where we read that um, verse 5 says that uh, love is not rude. It does not insist on its own way. Things we looked at last time, it is not irritable. Or uh, we have here resentful. We want to kind of pick up on that word we didn't get to last time. Then it goes on to say it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. We want to look at those things today. Last week we saw that love does not act inappropriately towards others. Our actions and words should edify, not hurt. Love does not insist on our own way. We were created to serve others, and we are happier and healthier when we do. So that is not irritable. And that, by the way, is a couplet with our word today. Um, it is not irritable or resentful. Uh, we are even, we are to be even keeled. The Bible uh, guides how we are to react in each situation. And first to be these things, irritable, is to be, of course, uh, focused on self and what you want and, and things like that. So it's not difficult to see how these are the uh, opposite of love. So today I've been, uh, entitled this, uh, What Floats Our Boats, uh, in a sense that will get to that more so in, in verse 6. But there's certainly an element of that is what do we love? What The things that we love are the things that we will spend time examining and following after, right? And so that's certainly something that, uh, for a Christian, uh, is very important for us to examine ourselves. What floats my boat? What do I love? What are the things that excites me? And I'm not talking about just things in the flesh that aren't necessarily evil or wrong, but what excites me? What, what really speaks to me? What What is the thing that I've got to have more than anything else? If I can't have all the things I perhaps enjoy, the hobbies or whatever, what uh, at the end of the day do I need? And those are things that are good for us to examine. So as we continue to look at ways that love is not expressed, as we see here, verses 5 and 6, but instead uh, are an expression of hatred and ill will, uh, the next word in verse 5 in the... uh, ESV is resentful. Love is not resentful. Now, of course, if you're familiar with the KJV, you know that it says that love thinketh no evil. And on the surface, uh, those words don't seem to uh, go together. You know, what what is resentful and thinketh no evil? And so you kind of have to dig a little bit deeper into the Greek to understand what is, is being said there. Uh, there are literally two words in the Greek, and it means to uh, think about something, uh, to think in a sense of to reckon, to add up. We'll get to that in just a moment. Uh, and then evil. So think about evil. That's why the KJP says, thinketh no evil. But the word think there, it has the idea of, it's, it's the word that we use at a counting term, to add, to keep track of, to write down in a sense. And so, um, the, the meaning then is that one doesn't add up wrongs or keep track of wrongs that are done. And, and as we said before, it's coupled with irritable. So instead we might say, 
um, instead of being provoked or irritated with everything, we do not hold things against those that we love. Instead of being irritated that you don't, you do something I don't like, we're able to let that go and to love anyway. And I think that's kind of the idea of those two words. And the ESV in the margin has does not count up wrongdoing, which is helpful because it's a, it is an accounting term. We don't keep a list of wrongs suffered. And so uh, the ESV translates it resentful, and you can understand why. So it is to forgive and to forget as much as is possible. In verse 7, we, we see here the idea of believes all things. Why would I assume evil intentions in someone who loves the Lord and who says they love me? In other words, just on the, on the surface, if, if we're dealing with the Christian family in particular, and it certainly applies if you think about just your family at home to, to some degree, you assume the best. You, you say you love the Lord and you say you love me, so... When you say and do things that well, I'm not particularly thrilled with or, or perhaps are, are uh, hurtful towards me, do I assume that, well, he loves the Lord, he loves me, he either had a good reason to say that or perhaps he's having a bad day, I do the same thing, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get, I'm not gonna let that, I'm not gonna get weighted down by that thing. People have used the illustration of insults that if you just take every insult cast at you and every wrong and you hold on to it and you will not let it go, but you write it down in your little ledger book, in your mind, which is what it's talking about here. And if if all those things were rocks, what happens if someone's throwing rocks at you and you put it in your backpack, eventually they're going to crush you. Instead of just letting them go. And that's kind of the idea here. Instead of keeping a list of wrongs, we should assume the best with each other. What we see is that here is, again, another couplet. And so instead of being short with each other, um, unable to deal godly and lovingly with each other over little sins and imperfections, and that's and we'll talk about this, but that's the idea here. It's not about not saying every sin. But, the, but just the little sins, the imper- people being sinners, because we're all sinners, right? Love will not hold such things against each other, but will forgive, as, as Jesus said in a hyperbole fashion, to 490 times, as much as it takes. Sometimes this word is used, uh, is translated impute, right? It's an accounting term of writing down something in a ledger. And so God imputes Christ's righteousness to us when he puts his righteousness on our account. And now we are accounted as righteous. We go from zero to 100%. We go to a sinner with no good thing. And now God looks at us as having a very full bank account. That 100% we're righteous, perfectly righteous in Jesus Christ. Because his righteousness is written down. And on our side of the thing of things, so it's a permanent record that becomes this. This when when Christ's righteousness is imputed to us, it's like a permanent record that we can look at and we can consult whenever it's needed. 
I'm a sinner, and I've, and I've, I've just been a rotten husband. I've been a rotten uh, father, <coughs> a rotten pastor. And I start to feel like, well, I, I don't deserve it to go to heaven. I, why does God put up with me? And we keep going back to the cross. And, we, and no, I, I'm righteous because I have Christ's righteousness. I'll never be good enough. And, and there's so many Christians who just really struggle with that. Because we're never good enough, they feel like they, they're never sure that God loves them and they're going to heaven. Well, that's exactly the problem. None of us are going to go to heaven if it's, it's, if it's uh, how good we are. So we can consult that ledger. And it's the exact same word that's being used here. Except that we're not to do it. We're not to keep a record of other people's failures. Uh, and their imperfections, especially their actions towards us that, that maybe offend us. <clears throat> Leon Morris uh, is a, a commentator that I like. He, he had this to say about this. Paul's next point is that love does not, so to speak, go around with a little black book making a note of every evil thing. Love keeps no score of wrongs, says Paul. We find it hard to forget it when people offend us, often storing up such grievances. Some saints seem to have a photographic memory when it comes to offenses against them. One little irritation brings to mind an entire file of previous offenses, carefully annotated the document and documented. This kind of mental bookkeeping only serves to fuel resentment and certainly does not facilitate true reconciliation. I think this is very well said. And we all know people like that. Now, there's a sense in which we've all done it. We all keep, it's very easy to keep track. When someone's done something to you, it's hard to forget it, right? We keep, we hold on to it. But a Christian who is drawn in Christ and who has, who washes himself in the gospel on a daily basis remembers his own sin and and, and ask God to help them let these things go. And, and I try to do that. You know, I try to just, people say and do stupid things to, if it's something that can be let go, we'll talk about here in a moment that, that there's some things that cannot be let go and should not be let go. But we're talking about this, the minor things. Just I just try to forget about that so that every once in a while I might be reminded about it. and Oh, yeah, that happened. And then just, hopefully just forget it and just keep on trucking. And and don't let that thing become a, a, something that drags me down. Try to have a short memory when it comes to that stuff. And I've seen, everywhere I've gone, including this church, uh, but I'd say that was people who are no longer here, but I, I've seen it where, you know, everything's going along okay, and all of a sudden somebody does something you don't like, and all of a sudden they pull out a whole list of things and start, well, you know, this happened, and he did this, and he did that. Why didn't you take care of that when it, when it was going on? You know, that person said offended you, and it bothered you. Why didn't you go to him and uh, and and uh, talk to him about it? And usually, a lot of those things are. Why didn't you just? Well, why are you keep a track of that? It's nothing. Love's supposed to cover a multitude of sins. Why are you holding on to that? But take care of it. There's nothing more destructive than when 
All of a sudden, somebody offends you, and you pull out this whole list of stuff. Well, I've just been waiting for an opportunity to tell you what a rotten person you are. Well, join the club. And that's not what he's saying here. Don't do it. Get If it's something that needs to be dealt with, deal with it. Because it's a sin, it's dishonoring to the Lord to hold on to that thing and waiting for an opportunity to spring it on them. And I, I know we all have done it. And it's something we all struggle with. But I mean, that's, that's what love does. We need to work on it. We need to be conscious of that. And so the point here is that when it comes to the faults of our brothers and sisters in Christ, we are never to impute or hold a permanent record of their sins. <clears throat> It is obvious enough why this is indispensable in the local church, right? It's just like it is in a family. Can you imagine a husband and a wife? Well, yeah, you can because it's it's done a lot. But who everything is blown up and held on to, you know, you know, and, and, and if you're unable to let little things go, you're, you don't get married because it's just not going to be good, right? But but even in the church, it, it, it just, you get along with anybody. You you've got to recognize we're all sinners. They're going to say something that is wrong or that offends me. I will be doing it to other people, and if we can't let these things go, there, there's there's no future. At, at some point, we're going to head out. We're gonna we're gonna part ways, right? And it, it's happened. Over and it happens all the time. <clears throat> and, and it's because there's no end of the time, so we're going to offend each other. We can't help it. Cause, and a lot of times we do it, we don't even realize we've done it. But if we have a forgiving spirit, we are going to have a forgetting spirit. And, and have the forgiveness shown us by God. We'll be, uh, um, and if we don't, we'll be unable to work with one another properly. Now, if it's something we need to be serious about, and, and every now and, and then someone's speech betrays that we have not that they have not been moved, they have not moved on to what something has happened in the past. There's still resentment, <clears throat> even when someone has apologized and tried to make it glad. Then, 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 and if you find yourself doing that, you're the kind of person that you know you're always. Dwelling on what someone's done to you. You, you. you need to just start thinking about the gospel. You need to start thinking about what Christ has done for you. And I'm glad the Lord doesn't treat me the way that I tend to treat somebody else, right? <clears throat> because <clears throat> he's told me that he has thrown my sins in, in the depths of the sea. As far as the east is from the west. And he will no longer hold them against me. because. I have the righteousness of Christ. And so why can't we do that to one another? <clears throat> um, Romans 4, 8 says, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count, will not write down in a ledger his sin. Now, if you're outside of Christ, all your sins are going to be paid for. You're, you're going to answer for every last one of them. Right? But if you're, but those of us who have been saved, the Lord doesn't keep track of all our offenses. Why do we do it to each other? Second Corinthians 5.19 That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him, not writing them down, but entrusting to us the message 
of reconciliation. Now, this does not mean that when one sins and refuses to repent, that we are to say, well, oh well, I have to forgive you. There are some sins and there are some things that we cannot just let go. And this is something that I think Christianity as a whole, at least modern day Christianity, well, for as long as I can remember, has this idea, it's like part of, it's become part of the culture, that every time somebody sins against me or does something wrong, a Christian just forgives. Just, you know, forgive it. Well, it sounds good on the surface, but of course it doesn't work that way, and it shouldn't work that way. And what I mean by that is that there are some sins that are serious enough that they must be held accountable for. Remember in uh, Matthew 18, Jesus says that if someone offends you, you ask, you know, you go to them and tell them, and if they don't talk, they won't listen to you, take a couple witnesses and you go. Now, this isn't talking about what Paul is talking about here. This doesn't mean that well, someone inadvertently slighted me and said something I didn't like or something like that. It's not talking about the, the things that love just covers. These are real sins that, that, that must be taken care of. These are maybe sins that are, that are continuing to happen. Things, destructive sins. Things that, that must be dealt with. And so it says, take a couple witnesses. Won't listen to them. Maybe take the elders. You know, bring them before the church. And, and finally, you know, if, 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 the, if the elders... You know, you say your friends say, you know, this needs to be taken care of, and you won't listen to them, and you bring your elders into it, and they confront them, and, and say, no, I don't want to, I don't, I'm not, I don't want to repent, and and then you eventually bring it before the church, and will not repent. Then what does it say to do? It doesn't say, well, you've done your best, forgive them, Just go your happy way, be a Christian. God forgave you, so you got to forgive them. Be careful here. No, it says, separate yourself from them. Because they're in unrepentant sin. So there are some things. God did not forgive any of us until we, he brought about repentance in our life. So we've got to be careful that we, that we don't, that we're not talking about just every sin. But, but primarily I think here with Paul, it's talking about personal interaction with one another. And offenses like that, that we have to, we have to be able to get past. So if Christians just forgave everything, there'd be no church discipline. And we would be misrepresenting the Lord who forgives sinners when they repent. So, so we don't, he doesn't just overlook sin. The spirit of love and forgiveness is really what Paul's getting at here. The spirit of love is one of, of love and forgiveness where we are able to look past and forgive slights. We cannot hold everyone accountable for being a sinner or none of us will get along with anybody, right? Because we're all sinning. And a husband and wife would never be able to get along because we sin every day towards each other in some way. So we must be able to deny ourselves and overlook faults and love. Then I think this again, Peter's bringing the same thing out when he says love covers a multitude of sins. It doesn't mean that, you know, someone's stealing that, well, I'm going to forgive you because uh, love forgives. No, if they've stolen, and they need that needs to be dealt with. We know that the Lord didn't just move on uh, uh, because we Adam sinned, right? He, he sent the Savior 
to deal with those sins so that he could forgive us. The sins had to be paid for. And we know that sins need to be confessed to those that we offend. And we can, before we're ever really going to be able to move on. And, and so we have to always think about both sides of the things. It's important for us to be able to forgive. But if you know that you have hurt somebody, then it's important for you to make an effort to rectify that thing. Don't just say, well, you got to forgive me, you know, and, you know, you know, just kind of throw this verse in their face, like, well, I can do what I want to do, and you, what, well, you can't do anything about it. That, that's not what the verse is telling us to do. Or are we so in love with ourselves that we can't let something go, even perhaps when confession isn't made? What, what are something, sometimes, you know, the person doesn't see it your way, and there's no confession, or it hasn't been done dealt with the way you would have liked. You know, that, that's a that's a case where, you know, maybe maybe your pastor said, you know what, that's that's something you're going to have to deal with. That's not something that, that needs to be brought to the church. And can we can we can we love one another so much that we're sometimes it's at the end of the day we're just not going to get our way on that thing, and and be able to live with that. Sometimes we're going to disagree with each other in, in sins and in, in, in offenses and things like that. It, you've got to, we've got to be able to have it something, that, a way to work through it, right? And I think that's what Paul is telling us. Someone well said that in this sense, love doesn't forgive and forget, but love remembers and still forgives. Because we, we all know that the, the term forgive and forget is kind of a quaint term, but it doesn't work that way. Because you can't, some things just can't be forgotten. But we still gotta be able to forgive, we still gotta be able to deal with it. I've still gotta be able to love somebody even if there has been a history between us in some way. And, and we've made things, th- uh, we've, we've made up the best we can and, and we've, we've, we've talked it out or whatever, we gotta be able to go on, right? And that, that goes back to, Someone who's got this list and they're just waiting to recount when they get a chance shows that they never really let go of that to start with. We can't do that. Resentful people, uh, and I didn't say this, Jeff, so I read this and I think it's good. Resentful people are good at keeping records and might be, might, might make good accountants but lousy Christians. <laughs> well, you know what he's saying there, you know, that, uh, you know, it, we, it, we, I think I can relate to this, right? I'm very good at writing down things, keeping account of things I really don't need to be keeping account of, right? Remembering those things. Are we good at grudges and judging or forgiving and living? That's a good way to put it. Are we good at grudges and judging or forgiving and loving? I think that's what Paul is getting at here. The point isn't that we have to somehow forget those things. But we've got to be able to deal with them in a Christ-honoring way. There's some things we just won't be able to forget. We need to try to forget it, you know, make, and ask God to, that that's not something that, that we keep in our minds that much. But it's going to happen. Those things are going to happen sometimes. <clears throat> so we need to forget in the sense that we no, it's no longer an issue. Well, then come to verse 6 where it's, we have another couplet. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. And uh, so love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. 
we see that this is another couplet and goes with rejoicing in truth, right? So it says, we don't, in, um, it, we, excuse me, I have to read verse 5. It does not, verse 6, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth, right? There's this couplet, two, two different sides of these things. It doesn't result, we, we don't, and that goes back to, you know, things that float our boat. We don't rejoice in evil things, in bad things, but the other side of this thing is that we rejoice in the truth. What do I find worthy of my attention? What do I, what would I rather dwell on? Evil things or good things? Things that are helpful and godly or things, or do I delight in base things? Right? In evil things and things that drag people down. Now, we all know that because we're sinful, we have a natural tendency to uh, be attracted to the base things of life. It's just like the news, you know, it's, it's an old fact that the, the news that people watch are bad news. Nobody, the ratings would go down if all you did is report good news. And then there's something about that, that that's the thing that attracts us to some degree. It's the bad news that catches our attention. Remember back in Isaiah 5, when one of the things Israel was going to be judged for was that they considered good things evil and evil things they called good. And one does this because they love evil more than good. Our natural tendency is to be attracted to evil things, to bad things, at least as well as the good. Now it would be easy for me to kind of just go off on our culture because... It's such a prime example of calling evil things good and, and and good things evil. But let's just try to apply it to ourselves. You know, how do God's people deal with this? Perhaps one way is that we we rejoice in wrongdoing. That a way that we can rejoice in wrongdoing, as verse six says here, is by speaking about other people's sins because it draws attention away from ourselves. We spend our time. Dealing with other people's sins so that people don't have to and won't maybe see ours. It makes us feel better about ourselves. So if we put these two things together and think of it primarily of what we think about, I think that's what the Lord is saying here. I think it will help us apply it to ourselves. What floats your boat? What are the things that you dwell upon? What do you, what's the things that you love? And if you love the Lord... You're going to hate the things that he hates, even when you see them in yourself. We're going to love truth. In other words, it all kind of goes back to loving the Lord. If you love the Lord, then things that dishonor him, whether it be out in the world or in yourself, you're going to hate. But understand this too. When it says that we will love truth, it's not saying here that that if we love, we hate sin, but we love anything that's true. Because that's kind of what it sounds like a little bit, right? But that's not what it's saying. Just because something is true doesn't mean that it's something good. The truth here is the truth of the biblical worldview, the things that the Bible uh, speaks to us. It's not the opposite of... Truth here is not the opposite of wrongdoing. So that um, we can love base things as long as it's true. In other words, as long as it's factual, it's okay to love it. No, it's truth as it is in God. It is 
everything that God has revealed himself to us. <coughs> God is truth. It's everything that he says about the reality of things. And we know that sin, at the end of the day, knows all sin, no matter what, how pretty it looks, is destructive. So we hate all things that are destructive. All, everything that is against God's revelation. And we know that uh, what God has revealed to us is uh, that is good is good. So the idea isn't just that when we hear of sinful things, we must rejoice. We can rejoice if it's factual, because it's true. No, there's a lot of things that are out there that's true, but we don't want anything to do with. But the things that should get us going are the things that, that God says, the things that he has revealed to us, the things that he's doing in the world, to see his kingdom increasing, to see others being brought into it, to see people being conformed to Christ. Those are the things that we should be foremost, that should grab our attention, that we should be the most concerned about. Truth as the opposite of sin, or that which is opposed to truth. It's not fact versus fiction. So, in other words, it's not saying here that you can't go out and read a a book of fiction at the you get at the library because uh, it's a fiction. None of it's really true. That's that's not the point. It's those things that uh, reflect God's truthfulness. So, to love evil things calls into question our love for He who is holy. Right? You know, you can't love both. You can't love truth, God's truth, and then love everything that is contrary to that truth. Now, we, having said that, we know that we all have a strong remaining natural affinity for pleasing self and things that are bad. So, it's, it's, when Paul says that these are things that we are to work on, it doesn't mean that there won't be things in us that are going to love that which is evil, because we know that's the case. If we have a new nature, even though there is something that remains in us that is attracted to sin, in our new natures, we know that it is destructive. We know that dishonors the Lord. We know that it won't give us what it promises us. And so we can hate something even though our bodies and our minds and that remaining sin is attracted to it, right? I think we all can understand that. But we don't rejoice in them. It upsets us. Sin upsets us even while we're attracted to it. Isn't that part of the the uh, conundrum of, of being a Christian? That that remaining sin that we know is bad and doesn't do us any good and, and causes us to be bad spouses and, and and unloving people sometimes. We we hate it, but we can't seem to overcome it all like we want to. Right? That's okay. But, but there, hopefully there's something in us that, that hates it, at least. And so it's not talking about uh, that it's okay to dabble in them as long as we don't rejoice. It's speaking about what are these things that, what's, what makes you happy? What interests you? If we perhaps are only grieved at the really bad things, but the smaller sins in our life, we really don't care. We kind of like those things. I think it's, it's showing we have a lot of work to do. We're still rejoicing. It's not just talking about the really bad things, but everything that dishonors the Lord. If we find ourselves not particularly bothered 
at the small things, we can be assured we are letting those things into our own life, I would say. And so ultimately, it reflects on our love for the Lord. And so I think Paul is saying that if we rejoice in him, we will not rejoice in the things that dishonor him. I think it's really that simple. Another way we can pervert this is by gossip. Just because something is a fact, true, doesn't mean that it's okay to spread it. Because that's rejoicing, that that's spending time in it. Sometimes it's the right thing to speak up and say what needs to be said, but Christian maturity knows that it's, sometimes it's best to keep your mouth shut. Just because something is true, just because something happened, doesn't mean it has to be talked about. Doesn't mean that that we got to we got to tell others about it. And, and I've known people who think that if something is true. Then it's okay to say it no matter what. Well, I don't think that that falls under Christian loves a lot often. It's funny that it never seems to apply to them. If something embarrasses them, they don't want it said. But it's okay for them to say it about somebody else because it's easy to expose uh, that which is true in in somebody else that nobody wants to know about, but not so much for yourself. And so we need to be very careful that we. Just because something's true doesn't mean that it needs to be said or needs to be exposed. That's not the truth that Paul was talking about. This, this is the truth of those things that are contrary to sin. And so to see someone involved in sin, no matter how small it is, we know is to see them hurting themselves. And why would we find delight in somebody doing that which is evil when we know at the end of the day they're going to suffer for that in one way or another, especially if they're lost? To love somebody is to hate their sin, and it holds true with ourselves. If you love yourself properly, you're going to hate it when you see it in yourself as well, and not try to justify it. And so as he moves to rejoicing in truth, he begins, he will now move into listing the positive attributes of love in verse 7. But this isn't saying to only dwell on positive things, because that's not always possible. In other words, as you read this, I think some people read these things and it rejoices in truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And so it, they, they take this to mean that, well, Christians just have to be positive and only say good and positive, happy things. Now, sometimes Christians have to say difficult things because we love truth and because we know that this is what honors the Lord and we're willing to say what needs to be said. And it takes maturity. But we judge all things according to what God says about it. And so sometimes we have to deal with sin and its consequences. We do so according to the word of God because that's what matters to us. And so we don't, we're not afraid to expose sin when it needs to be exposed. And again, that's going back to Matthew 18. And so I think a good point to make here as we get ready to close is that this reminds us that anyone who tries to tell us that the only thing that matters for a Christian is to love, and uh, that's all that matters, just just being nice, that, that, that they're deceived or they're being deceived. To let someone be deceived and destroy themselves because they refuse to be uh, or are ignorant of God's revelation is not loved. In other words, for a Christian, we are not to say, look, My job is just to be nice to people, and so I can never correct somebody. I can never point out their sin. I can never point out that they're doctrinally uh, wrong here. Because now you're you're doing, 
you're harming them. And so, again, this idea that Christianity is just always forgiving, always being nice, never arguing, you see. And I've known people who believe that. Absolutely, right? No, that means you're never willing to confront somebody. You don't care about somebody. Again, you think about parents and say, I, I never would uh, spank my child. Well, uh, what does that mean? What does that say about what your, your, your love for their souls, right? It's the same thing. And so a Christian sees the evil in the world in light of how God sees it and cannot rejoice in it and understands that there are times when we must expose it. We must deal with it openly. We are not happy when we see God's will not being done because we know that the misery that it will bring. And so we're not here to get along with everybody at, 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 regardless of the cost. Because we are concerned about honoring the Lord more than getting along with people. Um, and, and so these verses aren't saying that to love is to walk around with a smile on your face and never say anything negative, never correct error, never confront sin, uh, never deal with wrongdoing. Sometimes the most loving thing we can do is to confront someone about their sin. So, again, there's, there's got to be some balance here when we read these things. We're seeing the essence of what love is, but it doesn't negate everything else the Bible says, right? Uh, one, we, we never get to go to Second John, right? So turn over to Second John, the, the epistle of Second John. There's, a, I think, a good illustration here. I'm just, just about done here. But Second John, and let's just read beginning in verse four, and, and notice the context here. I'll, I'll try to, we'll, we'll try to. Relate this to the context of 1 Corinthians 13. I rejoice greatly to find some of you, your children, walking in truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. So Paul is is uh, complimenting them for walking in truth. And then he's also encouraging them that we are to walk in love. Verse 6, and this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. So part of love is to obey the Lord, right? Walk in a godly way. 4, verse 7, many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is a deceiver and an antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God, neither abides in the teaching. He has, whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him will take part in his wicked works. So while Paul is talking about encouraging them in the way they have walked in love, part of that is to recognize sin and deceivers and be willing to cut yourself off from them and to remove them from the church. 
And even if they come to your house as Christians, we don't make happy with them if they are teaching false error. Now, some people have taken this to say that if, if a Jehovah's Witness, for instance, comes to your house, you, all you can do is slam the door in their face. You can't talk to them. And I don't think that's what Paul is saying, or uh, that John is saying here. When he says, don't give them a greeting, it's saying, don't ask God's blessings upon them. Don't participate in what they're doing. But if you are able to speak to them about Christ and confront their error, that would, I think, be a much better thing than just slamming the door in their face. But whatever you do, in other words, he's saying, don't have any part in those who are walk contrary to God's word. So you can be a loving person, and yet you can stand up for the faith. You can call sin, sin, even sometimes separate yourself from other people. And you're being loving because our first duty is the love of God with all of our heart, mind, body, and soul, right? We cannot define love as being nice to people and never confront them or stand up for truth, even if it divides. Love is not always doing anything to maintain a relationship. I talked a little bit about this in Sunday school. Sometimes love is breaking relationships because your love for God transcends all other relationships. And so you doing and saying the right things means that your family members really don't want to have anything to do with you. So be it. You do your best, but at the end of the day, you've got to obey Christ. And I've seen this is the way some Christians deal with their friends and family. For instance, if they, if they plan an activity on Sunday during church, they, they never say, why don't we do this later in the day? No, it's, it's we, we'll do whatever you want. If you want us to miss church, we miss church. We don't care. Now again, sometimes you miss church, and that's, that's fine. I mean, things happen, but I understand that. But I've seen these people who, it's, they would never think about suggesting that we do something at a different time or something that's, that, so that I don't have to miss church. No. It's whatever you want, you get. Now, if they'll wait just a minute, why, why can't you, why is it wrong for you to, to say, you know what, I'm not going to this thing if you can't do any better than that or whatever. You know, tell them, show them that you love Christ. And especially we're talking about, when you're talking about lost loved ones and things like that. Because they seem to think their primary duty is to maintain a relationship with, with them, to reach them for Christ, but it always means doing what they want, never trying to encourage them to do what you want. How, how about invite them to church sometime? Instead of saying, okay, we'll do that, but, you know, we're gonna, we gotta go to church first. Well, that's great. Why don't you sometimes just say, why don't, why don't you come to church with me? I, I've done this with you. Why don't you come to church with me? Show, show, tell them, show them, demonstrate to them that you love Christ. Right, and so then finally, as I close here, let me just give you an appeal for balance. Love does not focus on the faults of others simply because we want to exalt what is good. One problem with being judgmental and legalistic is that it forces us to be more concerned with transgressions than exalting Christ in our lives. So we need to make this, we need to make our Christianity all about serving the Lord and all about telling people about Christ and, and be careful about not making Christianity all about morality. In other words, I'm talking about our, our emphasis and our motivation. 
even though there is a connection in keeping his commandments, as we saw there in, in Second John, and, and that we, you know, if you love me, you keep my commandments, right? Jesus said that. We want to be encouraging each other to serve Christ, not look for each other's sins. And it's very easy for Christianity, for some people, to become all about what you can't do, what you shouldn't be doing. You better not be doing that. And, and there's there's a part of that, obviously, as we examine our, how we live. But Christianity is about Christ. It is about loving Christ. It is about serving Christ. It's about what you get to do in Christ. It is not what you. It's not about what you can't do as a Christian. It is about since power and dominion is broken, so that it no longer has uh, got control over me to destroy me. I now get to serve Christ and be holy. So we need to be careful about making our faith about what we can't do, and more about what we have in Jesus Christ. You know, I want to be known, for instance, as, as a pastor who encourages us to pursue Christ more than one who stands up here and tells us, oh, today I'm going to preach, I'm going to preach against this sin or that sin. Because that, at the end of the day, preaching against a sin without explaining why that sin dishonors the Lord and why, uh, honoring the Lord is, is the most important thing is only half, half the, uh, the coin. So let's not make our faith just about not doing evil, but about honoring the Lord and about all that is good and true. See, and that goes back to our text here. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoings, it rejoices in the truth. And we want, we want to be people who are rejoicing in the truth, who are rejoicing in Christ, who are happy in that, not about all the, the bad things that we can't do. That, that's kind of focusing our attention on the the evil and the bad, and, and there's there's part of that we have to do. But let's just be balanced. It's easy to cross that line where it becomes all about what we're against. I, I don't want this church to be about what we're against. Are we against things? Well, yes. If you love Christ, you are against those things that dishonor the Lord, right? Can't get around it. But I don't want. But again, I don't want it to be a church that 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 it's all about what you can't do. I want to be a church that is known for we love Christ and that's all that matters. And I think this uh, this uh, love flows from that. And so perhaps that's our final application. Some Christians are known for their stand against sins, but they're not known for their love of Christ and their love for each other. Right. So. We're not balanced if we're our, if our love is just looking at each other, trying to see whether someone's sinning or doing something wrong, something they shouldn't be doing. Our love is to encourage each other to love Christ. And if you love Christ, the, the things you shouldn't be doing will take care of themselves. They should be if you if you really love Christ, right? Then why would you want to dishonor Him? So let's be balanced. May it never be said of us that we are just against things, but. May it be said that we are lovers of Jesus Christ, right? All right, we'll stop there today. Any any questions or comments before we close? Yes, John. Dismissed.